Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here, and as always, thank you for being a part of the life of this church. Uh, Whether you have been here for many, many years or whether today is your very first day with us, thank you for being here, uh, both in person and those of you online as well. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We are continuing, and this week is actually the final week of the Purple Kingdom series. I hope you have enjoyed it. Uh, The thoughts and the idea behind this entire series, if you are new, if you've missed it, is that when we begin in a relationship with Jesus, when we believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the Son of God who is coming into the world uh, to forgive us of our sin, to live the perfect life, the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve because of our sin. Uh, but God raised him from the dead three days later, proving uh, himself victorious over all of sin and death and all the powers of darkness. And so we read in Philippians, just as we have seen sung this morning, that at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we believe in him, when we begin this relationship with him, we enter into what we're calling the purple kingdom. In a country, in a world where we live with red and blue, our allegiance is actually pledged through our baptism to Jesus. We live for him, we follow him, uh, his rule, his reign, his kingship, his lordship in our life. So each week of this series, we have um, been asking, how do we actually live in this kingdom? Uh, The times where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, or specifically teaches or mentions the kingdom, how do we live in response to that? I would encourage you, if you've missed any of them, keep, uh, keep going back in the app or on our website or on the podcast and listen to those messages every week. This week, uh, final week, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer together. We've asked you to be praying this prayer in your homes every week in the midst of this series, and today we're going to spend some intentional time with the Lord's Prayer. Many of you have heard this statement before. It goes something like this. I may not get it exactly right. If you catch a fish for a man, you catch it for him, you can feed him for a day. If you teach a man how to fish, you can feed him for a lifetime. As I thought about how I want to present this this morning, I realized that oftentimes in church you come and you hear more of a a preaching sermon. There is something that happens in one moment or one nugget of wisdom or God is speaking one thing into your life for the day that can change your life, the trajectory of it. Uh, Think of salvation as being this huge moment. God changes your entire life in one moment. But yet when I want to talk about prayer this morning, I want to say this. If I could teach you how to pray. And there may be something today that, wow, is going to change your perspective for the rest of your life because of that one thing. But if I could teach you how to pray, 
It could be the, the um, spring that keeps bubbling up in your life. Every single day, you meet with Jesus. You have intimacy with Jesus. You get to know this God who has loved you. It will spiritually keep you alive for the rest of your life. This is a good one to take notes on and come back to as you will learn how to pray even this week. Now, here's the thing about prayer. I, I love teaching on prayer every chance I get because everybody at least statistically self-identifies as someone who prays. Let me just ask you just real fast, uh, who do you think prays more, men or women? Who do you think? Women, women, women. The men are like her for sure because she needs to pray for me, maybe. <laughs> uh, statistically, women, 64% of women say they pray every day. 40, uh, 46% of men say every day. The women are probably praying for, for their man and for the football game to be over so we can just get on with the rest of the day, maybe. Uh, who do you think prays more, uh, those over 65 or those under 30? Who do you think? Over. Wow, yeah, that was more emphatic. You're like, we do, not those young people. Uh, it's actually true. Uh, those over 65, 65% um, say they pray every day. Those under 30 is still 41%. And I was like, why is it so much? And then I realized that I've golfed with Archie Onweiler before, and he has to pray for every one of those putts to go in. <laughs> Sorry, Archie. Just kidding. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. That extra hour of sleep, friends, was life-changing. We're going to have some fun today. <laughs> Prayer. Now, here's what's fascinating. 50% of people say they pray about every day. Even 20% of people who never step foot in a church say they pray. So we all say, oh, well, I, you know, I pray. If it's just a quick ask for help, or I need some help with something, or I cry out to the God of the universe to help, we all pray, but yet, we all experience some kind of dissatisfaction with prayer, too. Maybe you wish that you could pray more than you do right now. Maybe you wish, you wish that as you pray, you could stay more focused. Anybody else have like squirrel brain? Like, Jesus, help me and uh, help me with this meeting. I know I got this meeting today before dinner and uh, dinner tonight. I think we're having tacos and yeah, that sounds real good. I mean, I'm getting excited. Maybe after dinner, we'll take the kids and get some ice cream and you're just lost. We wish we could be more focused. Maybe you wish that you could feel something more when you pray. Maybe you wish you knew what you feel like you should actually be praying for. Maybe you wish you knew how to listen more in prayer than just talking. And if you've felt any of these things or any other kind of dissatisfaction with prayer, I want you to know it's okay. And you're actually on good level ground with the first disciples. Think about this. The disciples that walked with Jesus, that walked with God incarnate, who would listen to Jesus pray, still had serious gaps in their prayer life. They would have been good Jewish boys praying at nine o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon, or 6 p.m., give or take some time for sun up and sun down. They had regular times of prayer. They also had very specific prayers that they would pray. These were disciples who would pray all the time. Yet as they listened to Jesus pray, they noticed that there was something different. And so in one story, you read it in Luke 11, most of you read it in the Bible, or the Purple Kingdom Bible reading plan, they walk up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And that's what today as a community, as a church together, God, would you teach us how to pray? 
Jesus responds not only from Luke 11, but maybe a little bit more popularly from Matthew 6 as it's been handed down throughout time in the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus responds to their invitation for teaching, and he says this. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You may have noticed if you're reading in your own little Bible, you see I left these in this week. Sometimes there's little notes there. If you see those, go and read the bottom of your Bible on the margin or whatever it is and see what that means. Uh, normally in Matthew, this is where the prayer ends. Deliver us from the evil one. And if you were to click that little note, it would say the later manuscripts of Matthew as it gets uh, rewritten and translated and passed on adds the last line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So when we pray, we normally pray that as well. It's interesting that Jesus starts with this statement, this then is how you should pray. I love this because Jesus could have said, this then is exactly what you should pray every time. Maybe a lot of us grew up in a tradition where we have grown up memorizing this. You couldn't help but hear, even as I was reading, I was doing it with a certain cadence. And some of you, you were uh, reading along with me, you're like, that's not the right word there. I learned it with a different word. You grew up memorizing this prayer. And that is good, that is helpful, it's incredible, it's a great starting point to know how to, uh, to, know how to pray. But I also love this language, this then is how instead of what. Today I wanna say that I think the Lord's Prayer is a great prayer to pray on its own, but it can also be a template. If you're wondering how to pray, Jesus said, well, you could pray like this, and offers us a template. I love Martin Luther, um, church history, uh, big name, big guy. Uh, well, I don't know if he was a big guy or not, and I feel like that was probably insulting. I'm going to meet him in heaven, and he's going to be like this big. I don't know. Um, he would pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Our Father who art in heaven, help you that name. Multiple times a day. And then when he was done with it, he would go back to it. He would say, Our Father. What does that mean for me? God, you are my Father. Thank you for being my Father. Who art in heaven. God, thank you that you are enthroned in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. God, may your name be kept holy. He would pray in his own words and help it come to life. And today, I think we can do something very similar. So let's go through the Lord's Prayer together. Make notes as you want to for then maybe how you could pray this week. It begins with this line. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I was laughing as I was studying for um, the message this week. Uh, I saw a picture on social media, and, and someone wrote, I just wish, like, we call God God, right? I just wish I knew his name. And someone's like, oh, we do know his name. He's like, really, what is it? I'm like, yeah, Howard. Howard? What? Well, yeah, for sure, it's right there. Our Father in heaven, Howard be your name. This person was dead serious. They thought his name was Howard. No. It's not Howard, it's hallowed. So what is this word hallowed, not Howard? Some of you are gonna see Howard in the lobby, no. Hallowed be their name. What does that mean? It's an old English word that we don't use anymore today, uh, but it means holy. And more than that, may your name be kept holy. May your name continue to be holy. May the holiness of your name uh, be known in all of the earth. God, would you act in such a way where people would recognize who you are, that you are holy, 
and that you are good. You think of the Ten Commandments, you remember the law? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. It's like the negative sense. Here's the positive sense. Lord, let your name, when people say God, see all the good things because of you, because of your name, because of what you are doing in the world. May your name be kept holy. It also puts us at the feet of God to recognize who it is that we are praying to. God is not just a cosmic best buddy, but God is the maker, the creator of the entire universe. He is almighty, which he is all powerful. He's wonderful. He's unlike us, holy, different, set apart, distinct. He's not like us. It helps us to see who he is. I see on one hand, some of us, when we come to prayer, and maybe this is you, figure out where you are on this, you come to God and you think of him only as best friend. God, I just, you know, you're with me today, you're helping me, you're doing these things. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, it makes us recognize, oh, this is really who you are as well. But then there's the second side of it too. Jesus instructs us to call him Father. Our Father. So maybe on the other side, while some of us uh, only think of him as best friend, some of us may actually only approach God as, God, you are almighty, you are different, you are so different than me, you are holy, I am completely unlike you, I am distant from you, I don't know you at all. For those people, I think Jesus says, ah, but remember to call him Father. And when you pray, there's so many other examples where Jesus or he refers to him literally, Abba, Father. He refers to us to him as say, when you pray, pray like a father. It sets the tone for the relationship. This is not a tyrannical master and a servant or a slave. No, and there's not an equal relationship either, but it's more like father and child. Father and child. Now, when you think of that, does that change how you feel when you pray? Maybe there's an intimacy, and not just a father, but a good and present father. An intimacy, a trust that can be there. When you think of him as father, it may change how you ask or what you ask for as well. You know, I, I, picture your own good relationships with a good father. Um, I, I like to think, hopefully, that I'm a good father. Um, this week, my oldest, Lillian, was five. Halloween happened this week, and so I don't know if it was this way in your home, but there's like 16 pounds of candy that now just sits on the counter. I don't know who's going to eat it. I can't eat it. My wife doesn't eat it. The kids definitely don't need to eat it. It's just sitting there. I actually started taking it to all my meetings this week. Like, hey, I stole my kids' candy. It's fine. They'll be, they don't know about it. It'll be okay. Please eat this candy. My kids don't need all of it. Now, if, and this didn't happen, but if my daughter came home on Halloween, says, Dad, can I eat all 16 pounds of this candy? And if I said, yes, go ahead, it'll be fine. You know what, if you want to stay up all night and watch TV too, that'd be great. When you wake up in the morning, if you want ice cream, you can have ice cream for breakfast too. Whatever you want, the answer is yes. You would look at me and be like, you're a terrible father. <laughs> a good father doesn't necessarily say yes to everything. Because a good father maybe knows what is better. Similarly, this week, uh, my daughter had to have a tooth pulled. I promise the candy and the tooth pulling is not related at all. Uh, she had a little infection, and so she had to have her tooth pulled. Now, no five-year-old wants to sign up for the pain of having a tooth pulled. But a father has a different perspective. The yes, it may be um, a momentary pain, but it will actually leave room for future growth to happen. 
So sometimes from a father's perspective, oh, I know that what you're going through is difficult, and I know, and you would never choose this for yourself. But there can be a maturity, a growth, an endurance, a strength, a deepening of relationship, a growth that can happen because you would go through this. A father has a different perspective. And let me say this, sometimes God will cause things to happen in your life for his purposes. Let me also say, God does not cause everything that happens in your life. God gives people free will, and sometimes people use that freedom to make awful and terrible choices. And those choices have consequence and have an effect on you. Did God cause that? I don't think so. God allowed someone to have free will who caused that. But then even in Romans 8, we can read that God can take all the terrible things and still work them together for his good. He can weave any story back to accomplish his purposes. Or like the book of Genesis says, oh, you meant it for evil, Ah, but God can, God meant it for good, or God can use anything for his good too. But think of God as father. So some of us, when we pray, if you don't get a yes answer to everything, don't think that he doesn't love you. Think that if he said no, he did it for a reason. And he's a good and loving father who is trustworthy. We address him as father. The next line, thy kingdom come, or your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to ask you for a moment, when you pray, and there's no wrong answer here, okay? This is not supposed to be like, make you feel guilty about anything. When you pray, think about how you pray and what you pray for. Do you tend to pray more for yourself, or do you tend to pray more for others? Again, there's no bad answer. I've actually noticed myself in different seasons. If I've got friends that are going through things, I've noticed that I'm praying way more for others, and sometimes in prayer I feel God say, yeah, but what about you? (laughs) You're gonna pray for you too and your own growth and what I'm doing in your life? Oh, right. Then there's other seasons where I'm praying, God, I I need this. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. And I can become really self-focused and forget about others. Where do you fall in this? I'm going to ask you another one. I don't want you to raise your hand or anything, but this changes a little bit. When you pray, do you pray more for your will to be done or for God's will to be done? I think when we pray, we can get, God, would you do this for me? Can you make this happen for my life? Can you answer this prayer? Can I get this job? Can I be in this relationship? God, I kind of want my will to be done. And God welcomes it. Invite and bring all your prayers in. But if we could pause for a moment say, God, not my will, but yours. God, could your kingdom come? Could your purposes be done? Whatever it is you want for my life, could you make that happen? God, I think it might be this job. I think it might be this relationship. But is that your will? If it is your will, would you let it come to pass? You see the difference? We pray for his will to be done. And we pray for his kingdom to come. Here on earth, as it is in heaven. We're not just in some kind of holding pattern, waiting until we pass away or until Jesus comes back and then we finally get to live uh, with God. No, there is work to be done in the here and now, trying to establish God's rule and reign here on the earth, just as it is in heaven. People that would recognize his kingship, would live in obedience to him here on earth, as it is in heaven. And as, as soon as I say that, I wanna say this, listen, no person is perfect outside of Jesus. 
We're entering into the voting, the political week this week. No person and no party is perfect. And we actually fail, we get into error as Christians. If we elevate and say, this is exactly what Jesus would want. No person is perfect. That's how we get into nationalism real quick. Instead, knowing that no person or no party is perfect, we go to the scriptures and we, God, what is the Christian values? What is it uh, in this time, in this season, that you would have us? What is the, the top three, maybe? And then we go and we vote accordingly. And we don't place our hope in the political system structure to fix everything. Because if we know God is gonna be the one who fixes everything, then it comes through his kingdom. So we go and we participate in the structures and we want to, as best we can, help establish God's rule and reign by enacting God, uh, godly policies here on this earth. And then we hold out our hope in and through the local church. Because what changes the world is Jesus. And if Jesus lives in us, then as we go into the world, we love others, we meet, we're an embodied people together who pray together, who serve one another, who love one another, and that becomes attractive. Wow, that's an incredible community. Can I get in on this too? Ah, oh, but we're focused around Jesus. You come, you meet Jesus, he'll set you free. The hope of the world is still the local church. Just another side note, because no one's perfect outside of Jesus. Some marriages fall apart because we put all of the hopes and expectations you complete me on another person. And when that person doesn't complete us, fulfill us, then we get angry with them. When Jesus is the only one who can do that anyway, it's a misplaced expectation. Or some people that may be here today or they're not here today, because the same thing has happened in the church. They put all of their hopes, their expectations in a person or a pastor or a church leader and when that person fails to be Jesus, they realize, oh, was my hope in Jesus in the beginning or in a person? Because our hope needs to be in Jesus. He is the only thing that is the rock steady foundation who's never changing. What does Hebrews say? He was the same yesterday and today and forever. So our hope is in him. Next we pray, give us today our daily bread. And while this seems very straightforward, God, give me what I need, right? It's kind of what it sounds like. I'd remind you, daily bread. I want you to think of the Exodus in the Old Testament, the people of God leaving slavery. You take a, a packed soldier field and way more people than that, walking out into the desert with nothing to eat. And every day God provides for them bread. He provides what they need to keep them alive. When we pray, we will pray, God, here are my requests before you. Here's what I need. But I want you to pause for a moment. When you pray this week, pause. And begin to look around. Take at least 60 seconds. And note everything that God has already given you. We see daily bread. Well, God, you have got us this far because you have provided for us to bring us to this place. Maybe you start to look around. If you're sitting in your house, you look, well, I got... Clothes on, God, thank you for these. God, I got a hot coffee, thank you for Brazilian or Colombian roast or whatever it is you got. I have some food after this, God, thank you. For my family, for my spouse, for the job, the opportunity that I'm physically able to work. God, that you provided for me in so many ways. So if you start with thankfulness, then when you get to the asking, you come and say, man, God, you are so good. Hey, I'd also ask for this. 
It also helps keep into perspective to ask for what we truly need instead of maybe what we want. God, give us today what we need. And then it goes on, forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses, forgive us of our sin as we also have forgiven our debtors. Pastor Hunter gave a great message last week on forgiveness. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it on how we forgive others just as we too have been forgiven. So we do need to forgive other people. But I also want to highlight this for a moment. We are saying, God, forgive me. God, forgive us. When I say the word confession, for some of you that brings up images or things that you have practiced. I'm going to go and talk to somebody and that's confession. And that is confession. Oftentimes we leave confession just feeling bad about ourselves. Guilty. Terrible. But what if I said this? An examination of your heart is the moment, God, have I erred against you in any way? What does the psalm say? God, point out anything within me that offends you. God, where have I sinned? Where have I fallen short? Where have I not done what you have wanted me to do? The reason why we do this, the reason why we confess is twofold. And first, it's so that we can become aware of where we're not living for God. If we never pause and examine, then we just keep living life. But if we can pause and we hear God say to us or point out within our subconscious, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that, thought that, done that. It also changes our mindset so the next time it happens, we've recognized, oh, that's not okay. I don't want to go there again. I don't want to do that again. So the first part is it makes us aware. But then the second part, the book of James says, confess your sins to one another so that you will be healed. That's what it says. So we come and say, God, forgive me. And we know from the rest of scriptures that Jesus' death, his resurrection has been accomplished so that we are forgiven God forgives us of our sin. He throws it as far as the east is from the west. He washes us whiter than snow. We are forgiven. But then the other part, too, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. You say, really? I was in a Bible study here at the church, I don't know, maybe a year ago, and we were reading James together. We read that together, and one of our own, uh, a church, uh, church member here, said, okay, if that's serious, then I'm going to do it. He said, Pastor, and this is a sidebar, one-on-one. I've never said this to anybody else, but here is my sin. I'm confessing it to you. Almost three months, maybe, I don't know the timeline, a time later, comes back and is like, listen, it's not that I don't struggle with it anymore, but I have found a newfound freedom. Can you believe it? It's unreal. And I said, yeah, I can believe it. When we live in obedience to the ways of God, when we confess God is actually able to change and transform our heart. We don't just live in sin management. Well, I'll just keep doing this until I die. God can actually transform us, change us, make us, he can heal us, make us whole, even in this life. So we confess and we ask for forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, I left a little footnote in there again. The Greek word for temptation can be temptation or it can be testing. Because we read in other parts of scripture that God does not tempt us. And yet, the Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tested. It could be tempt, it could be test. Lead us not into this. God, deliver us. Here's what I want to tell you. 
if you face temptation, and we all do, the best time to decide how you'll respond to temptation is way before you ever get in the moment. If you decide, oh, well, should I act on this? Should I not? Should I respond to this? Should I not? In the moment, we almost always choose what we would later regret. Let me, uh, let me ask you, for you, what does temptation look like? Probably brings different um, areas or ideas or images into each one of our minds. What does it look like for you? Can I, can I show you what temptation looks like? This is what temptation looks like for me right there. The Nerds Gummy Cluster is amazing. You can go any three flavors, whatever you want. And here's the temptation. They're fine. They're good on their own. They're one of like the few candies that like I can eat. I love them. There was not 16 pounds of this that came home for Halloween or we might be in a different story. Uh, I love these little things. Now here's the thing. If you've had a hard day, if you're lonely, if you're angry, if you're tired, uh, there's a good little acronym for you that was taught to me by a mentor. That's where it came from. HALT. H-A-L-T. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. You're more susceptible to give in to temptation because you're frazzled emotionally. So if I come home from a long day at work, if there were not only one bag, if there were three bags, no, wait. If there were six bags on the table, ooh, I could probably eat all of them if I wanted to. I probably could. I'm not going to, and I don't because that would be terrible, and I would feel awful, momentary pleasure, awful later, so I won't do it. When I talk about temptation, I put this picture up because gluttony seems to be the easiest, most acceptable sin in our world today. When we live in a land of uh, excess and overconsumption, we're like, yeah, a little gluttony's fine. But what if it's something else? I used to teach teenagers, choose the first time you're going to have sex and do it way before the moment ever comes where you're choosing yes or no. Make a decision to save yourself for marriage in accordance with Christian tradition and in the scriptures. Make that decision way before you ever get in the moment. Because if you get in the moment and you're lonely, and well, then we choose momentary things instead. Maybe as we grow, maybe that stays a temptation. But maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's greed. You know, a little extra wouldn't hurt. Maybe it's stealing. Well, nobody else would really notice, and I've, I've put in the work anyway. Maybe it's anger, envy. What is it? What is the temptation that is easier for you to fall into? God, lead us not into this. God, help me to decide before I'm ever in the moment the kind of person that I am becoming. Maybe not who I am today, but who I am becoming and then secondly, because that, that's good and that's helpful and you're in the moment and you're like, well, I'm kind of tempted. I know I could do this, but I've already decided, but man, it's still really hard and it's like right here and I could choose it if I wanted to. I want to encourage you today. Some First Corinthians, this is beautiful. The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. We're all in this together. We all experience the same temptations. You're not alone. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. No temptation is so overwhelming that you never have the chance to say no. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Maybe somebody today, you just need to hear, you do not have to say yes every time you are tempted. We don't live according to the desires of the sinful flesh. The Spirit comes in and rewires our desires to help us desire what God would want for us. So we don't have to give in. 
So we pray and we, we're on the lookout. Lead us not in temptation. I've decided who I'm, the person I am becoming before I get in the moment. But when I'm in the moment, I'm also looking for the way out. Because God said he'll provide a way out and deliver us from the evil one. Finally, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We end where we begin. God, hallowed be thy name. We end in recognizing, God, ultimately, your kingdom will come. Your rule, your reign, no one is more powerful than you. You will establish your throne. God, help me just to live in your kingdom, to participate in what you're doing in the world. Yours is the glory. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. You are God. You are good. You are loving. You are just. You are merciful. This is how we end. Finally, I would say this. Many of us treat our relationship with God in a good and genuine way. But as your pastor, I want to tell you, I think there's so much more in your relationship with God to discover. There's new depths, new intimacy that you can truly know who God is. I say this and I promise I'm not poking fun, I mean this. I think of it like this. Many of us love and know God just like I now love and know the Chicago Blackhawks. I went to my very first game last week. It was my birthday. It was amazing, genuinely. I loved, I'm like, no one's told me about hockey. This is amazing. I love this. So I go in for the first time. I love the whole experience. And it's like, I know what's going to happen. I've been to sporting events before. Uh, but then like, you stand up to sing the national anthem, right? Some of you are laughing because you know you've been there. Normally, it's a very, like, quiet, reverent moment. You listen to the person. No. With the Blackhawks, everyone's screaming the entire anthem. I'm like, is this okay? Is this, no, we're doing this thing? Okay, all right. Kind of a neat moment. It was fun. Uh, during the game itself, it's happening. One of the Chicago Blackhawks gets, like, a cheap hit on him. One of the Edmonton guys hit him. It was unfair. Another Blackhawk guy goes right up to him, and as Christians, turn the other cheek. But as a Blackhawk, you, boom, it sucks, <laughs> I'm like, you're standing up for a man? Wow, Blackhawks, you got each other's back? Wow. When they score a goal, the whole place goes crazy. So I can genuinely and good say, I love the Blackhawks. But then as I say that, people then begin to ask me questions like, oh yeah, like who's your favorite player? And I'm like, I know like one guy, uh, his name's Toes and he spells it all wrong. <laughs> Jonathan Toes, figure out how to spell it. I don't know, it's very confusing. Oh, do you know this other guy? Do you know this? Do you know the coach's name? Do you know any of the... No, I, I couldn't tell you any of their names. Uh, yeah, but you know the history, right? The, the cups, and I'm like, I think I saw a couple banners, and the, but I don't really know anything about it. Well, you know the history. Do you know the rookies? Do you know where we've been, and do you know where we're going? No, I have really no idea. I love them but I don't know them at all. Now watch this. Some of us walk into church for the first time. Ah, I love this place. I think I know what's gonna happen here. I mean, I, I kinda know, but it's different. Maybe we're not shouting during uh, worship songs and like, maybe that's not my thing, you know, I'm not singing, but like, it's kinda neat. I see what we're doing here. It was interesting. Maybe you hear messages about doing the right thing, standing up for others who don't have a voice, and you say, ah, that's good, I love this. You know, we don't score goals and nets, 
But when someone gets baptized, when someone shares a testimony of their life being changed, we celebrate. We love it. It's amazing. So you can genuinely say, I love God. But friend, gut level in your soul, do you know him today? Do you know his history? Do you know his future? Do you know why we are doing what we do and how we are supposed to live as Christians? How we actually talk and listen to him. We love him deeply. And I want to tell you, if you don't know him, you can. Now, there's no shortcuts, no five easy steps, no three ways around it. It's simply by doing the work of prayer. Jesus said, this is the way to eternal life. This is the way to eternal life. How? To know God. To know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent into the world. Do you know him today? And you can. It is not more research. It's not read another book. It's not having another coffee with a pastor. All good things. But if you want to grow in your intimacy with God, go and pray. Set aside the time to do it. Speak to him. Cry out to him. Sit in the quiet, unrushed, unhurried, untimed moments and pour out everything that your heart has in it. And then sit in the quiet of the presence of a good father who loves you, who is trustworthy. Listen to the words that he has already spoken in response to your prayers. Know that he knows and loves you too. In just a moment, we're going to respond today. I thought the only fitting way to respond to a message on prayer is to give time and space to do it. For some of you, you walked in here today and your heart is heavy. You would say, honestly, I want someone to pray for me, for me, something's going on in my life. I need somebody to pray for me. Or maybe today, someone else in your life, I need somebody to pray with me. And I want somebody to pray for me or with me. In just a moment, here's what we're gonna do. We have some pastors and life group leaders and board members of our church. They're gonna come down front here and turn and face you. If you want someone to pray for you or with you today, come forward and they will pray with you in a moment. For those of you online, if you type in the comments, I want prayer for this today, right now. In just a moment when we cut away, Pastor Ethan will pray for you specifically live in the moment for your prayer requests today. Now, if you're here and you say, I don't want necessarily someone to pray with me or for me, but I would like to spend a couple quiet moments in prayer. There's going to be a prompt on the screen. Pray with us as we pray. Here's what I'd like. Um, Those board members, life group leaders, and pastors, go ahead, come forward. Seth, you can go ahead and begin to play. Everybody else, would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray. God, I thank you for the privilege that we get to come before you that you are a father who loves us, who hears us, who cares for us, who answers, who moves, who acts. So we spend these next few moments in prayer when they be holy moments. Whether we're being prayed for, or we're praying with someone for somebody else, or whether we're simply quietly in our seats praying, be with us in these moments and speak. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for the First Naz podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, 
I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the app store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.